Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bill Ackman, the billionaire hedge fund manager of Pershing Square Capital. Bill has been featured on this channel a few times before, most notably because of his trade made in early 2020, which netted him over $2.6 billion in profit. Since then, he's become a bit of an internet darling, which is just great for him because a lot of his trading strategies require him winning over hearts and minds to change people's opinions on a stock, bond, cryptocurrency, or whatever else it is that he has some kind of vested interest in. Now this is nothing new. Influential stock traders have been trying to create news stories that suit them ever since there were stock markets and newspapers, but this most recent announcement has been a little bit different. Ackman, along with a selection of business leaders and economists, have started advocating for a plan that would give everybody a few thousand dollars in cash the day they are born, all in order to solve the retirement crisis. It sounds crazy, but there may be more merit to this whole plan than you think. Most advanced economies around the world today are dealing with aging populations and declining birth rates. A future where the dependent elderly far outweigh the productive young is fast approaching, current pension infrastructure may just not be able to cope. We may see a future where the quality of life of elderly citizens rapidly declines or young people are taxed very heavily in order to support them, neither of which sounds particularly appealing to anyone. So perhaps radical solutions are what we need. And to understand this plan, we are going to need to look at a few key areas. How would handing out money to babies solve problems amongst the elderly? How would nations afford this? And is this actually a sound idea or just another scheme by some savvy businessman to profit off front page news? This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you would like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive Q&A sessions, which are now held every Saturday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, please consider supporting our channel at patreon.com slash economicsexplained. The age of retirement in most nations has been steadily increasing over decades, almost out of necessity. Government pensions were originally put into place by a select group of advanced nations from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. These were put in place to take care of people that were too old to be able to work, but too poor to be financially self-sufficient. To this day, that's still their core goal. Nobody wants to see our elderly populations starve to death in their golden years. But the problem is that when schemes like this were introduced, life expectancies were lower than the age of retirement. The US life expectancy in 1875, when the pension was first introduced, was less than 40 years old. So, only a fraction of the population ever got to a pension check, despite working their whole lives and paying taxes to support them. 
What's more is that life expectancy back then was drastically influenced by wealth. Richer people had access to better food, healthcare, and a healthier environment, and they also had the distinct advantage of not working on preoccupational health and safety factory floors, or as I like to call them, human meat grinders. This meant that of the lucky few who did grow old enough to receive a pension, most of them would have been too wealthy to qualify. Even today, life expectancy does depend a lot on how wealthy you are. The difference in life expectancy between Oglala County, County in South Dakota and Summit County in Colorado is more than 20 years. That's larger than the difference between the average life expectancy of the United States and Uganda. Studies have concluded that the biggest determinant factor between this disparity inside the nation is income. Now, all of this is to say that as people around the world are getting richer and richer, they are also getting older and older. Life expectancies in modern advanced nations today are hovering around 80 years old, where most pensions kick in anywhere between 60 and 65. This means that on average, the state is having to look after people financially 15 years or more, which is ultimately not sustainable. Most often, state pensions are far more generous than unemployment benefits because the idea is that they provide a comfortable lifestyle to senior citizens instead of providing a living allowance to someone looking for a job. To most people, that is fair enough. But this is an expensive program. In Australia, assistance to aged care along with the old age pension accounts for $75 billion worth of government spending. This is seven times more than what is spent on regular unemployment benefits and twice as much as what is spent on the military. In the US, pensions for public servants have become a $3.5 trillion unfunded liability and the news is similar all around the world. Now one solution is to increase taxes on people still in the workforce in order to pay for this older generation. This might sound like a really bad idea to you, the predominantly working age viewership of this channel, but hear me out. Historically, the burden has fallen on children to directly look after their parents in their old age. Multi-generational housing is still commonplace in most developing nations where pensions are not a thing. If it were a question of paying an extra few percent in taxes or living with the in-laws, which would you pick? I am actually genuinely curious about this. For what it's worth, I am Australian and multi-generational housing is quite rare here, but I actually quite like the idea so long as everyone has enough space. So leave a comment below with which you would prefer and whereabouts in the world you are from. It helps the video in the YouTube algorithm and it would be really interesting to see. Now of course, one other solution is to reduce these benefits and let elderly people fend for themselves. Now socially this would have some terrible repercussions, but it wouldn't necessarily hurt the overall economy. Hong Kong is a perfect example of this. The city is a glistening beacon of wealth and prosperity, but a large portion of their elderly population live in cages because they can't afford anything more. Now, Mr. Bill Ackman here decided that he didn't want to pay more tax, he didn't want his parents taking up room in his $100 million New York penthouse, and he also didn't like the idea of old folks starving. So he presented a potential win-win solution. Ackman has proposed giving a few thousand dollars to children at birth, which they can only access at the age of retirement, which would be set between 60 to 65 years old. This was a proposal specific to the United States, where the billionaire investor has said that a sum as modest as $6,750 could be sufficient, but obviously the more the better. Other nations adopting a similar strategy would either have to provide more or less depending on their cost of living. This money would then be locked away and invested into a diverse portfolio of assets, which would generate returns of around 8% annually, 
based on historical trends. This would mean that everyone would have a comfortable nest egg to retire off by the time they were no longer able to work themselves. Now you might just say, well, this sounds like a socialist 401k, and there are similarities, but there are also some key advantages to this scheme. For starters, it covers people who would not be in a financial position to contribute to retirement savings of their own volition, but it's also a cheaper solution. Giving a few thousand dollars to newborns once is a lot cheaper than giving tens of thousands of dollars to elderly people for as long as they live. Based on the number of newborns in the USA in 2019, this scheme would cost around $150 billion, which is far less than the hundreds of billions that are attributed to old age welfare between the federal government and the states today. It shifts the revenue burden from the taxpayer to the financial markets, which is another big win. We have said it time and time again on this channel, that the stock market is not the economy, and one can sometimes do really well while the other is doing really poorly. Perhaps never has this been more apparent than in 2020. By giving all citizens of a nation investment into that nation's companies, they have a portfolio to call their own and will share in the collective success of capitalism, rather than being left behind by it. This alludes to the biggest benefit of this scheme over more traditional retirement vehicles. Time. Due to the marvels of compound interest, we can reverse engineer that $6,800 at birth, given current market rates of return, would give people around $1.2 million at the retirement age of 65. At that point, they could draw a yearly income of $92,000 without reducing the size of their portfolio at all. Now of course, after we have factored in inflation, $92,000 in 65 years won't be quite as generous as $62,000 today. But if inflation rates stay at the 1-2% that the Fed targets, this $92,000 salary would be in line with current government pensions. Hypothetically, if this was instead raised to a gift at birth of $30,000, which is the average pension for most developed nations, then people would retire with a nest egg of $5.3 million, which will be the equivalent of around $1.47 million 2020 dollars. It would be achieving this while still being, on average, 15 times cheaper to implement in the long run. Imagine a world where everyone would at one point become a millionaire, and then imagine what it would do for worker morale, national unity, and general tensions over inequality. The reason this is able to achieve such fantastic results is because it has been compounded over 65 years, which is far longer than most traditional retirement vehicles. To match this result, a 25-year-old would have to invest a lump sum of $190,000 into an investment portfolio, which is obviously not possible for most individuals. 25 years worth of compounding goes a long way. Now you might be thinking, well this is great, but a more elderly population is still going to be a burden on society, no matter how creative you get with shifting money around the place. But the thing is, in our modern world, that's not necessarily true. To show you why, consider this hypothetical. Tomorrow, Elon Musk announce a robot that can cook, clean and perform other basic tasks. It's not more efficient than the current robots we have on assembly lines, so don't worry, it doesn't take anybody's job… yet. But this robot has one final feature. If left alone for a full year, it can build a perfect copy of itself. But it's relatively expensive and costs $30,000. Now, say that robot is given to a child at birth, and instead of doing anything else, it is sent away to make more robots. 
Well, in the first year, you would have one robot. In the second, you would have two, and then that second robot can also make copies, so there would be four, and then eight, and then sixteen, and we get the drift. By the time they reach retirement at age 65, this person would have an army of robots that they can use to take care of their every need instead of having to rely on one of the few young humans left roaming around. Of course, this is an extremely oversimplified example, but it shows the basic mechanics of capital investment. If people put enough money towards machinery and technology that it lets existing people in the labour force do the work of two or more men, then the person that contributed that machinery and technology can effectively retire without an economy losing any productive output. Cool. So far, this strategy is cheaper for the taxpayers, more beneficial for the recipients, and better for citizen morale, all while channeling money towards local companies that will create more wealth for their shareholders, which just so happen to be the citizens of the nation. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Well, of course, there are some major problems. A common criticism of this proposal is that it is expensive. And yes, while long-term it would work out cheaper than brute-forcing pensions through taxpayers, there would be a significant upfront cost. Assuming that this program starts and only gives money to newborns after the commencement date, there would be an entire 65-year period where a government would need to pay for regular pensions as well as socking money away for this new scheme. 65 years is basically someone's entire life. So for people just entering the workforce today, they would likely have to pay for this over their entire working careers, retire and die before they ever see someone fund their own retirement through this scheme. This problem could be written down to making sacrifices for future generations, but we all know we aren't great at that either. A more technical issue with this scheme is that it probably puts too much faith in markets and people. The examples we used before to demonstrate portfolio growth used an 8% average market return. Now, based on historical data, that actually shouldn't be an issue. What could be is that these returns are not perfectly consistent. There are up and down years, and if someone retired in a year like 2008 or early 2020, they might find that their portfolio is half of what they were expecting it to be meaning that they either have to reduce their spending or keep on working until things get better. Those returns themselves might also be problematic. These were based off returns from the American stock market over the past 100 years, and I don't know if anyone has noticed, but America has done particularly well for itself over the past 100 years. Past performance is not an indication of future growth, and this is why we see that stock market returns in older, more established areas like Europe are historically lower than that magic 8%. This would either mean that that initial payment needs to be made larger, or people would need to retire later. The other issue is, what would happen if people burnt through all of this money? What do you imagine would happen if you gave the average worker, who has been unable to save for their own retirement, a cheque for $1.5 million? Look to the retirees from your favourite sporting league for the answer. Still not sure? They will blow it. Money is very easy to spend, and recipients of major windfalls like this more often than not end up filing for bankruptcy. So what happens then? Do we let them starve to death, or do we put them back onto a pension? If they go back onto a pension, not only are the savings from this whole scheme eliminated, you would actually encourage people to blow through all of this money rather than living frugally off the dividends for the rest of their life as intended. Why live modestly when you can live like a king for a few years and then live modestly afterwards? One final criticism is that this would just cause inflation. If everybody in the world became a millionaire the day they turned 65, then 
being a millionaire wouldn't be that special anymore, the cost of housing and consumer goods would just rise to meet this new demand, right? Well, that's actually really complicated. Inflation is the increase in the price level of goods. If goods get more expensive over time, that's inflation. If goods get cheaper over time, that's deflation. Now, the inflation rate ultimately boils down to two factors. How much money has been circulated around the economy, and how many goods are available in that economy. If you increase the amount of money in circulation by printing more or encouraging people to spend more or take out loans, all while reducing the number of goods available, you will get inflation. More money is competing for less goods, so people have to offer more to buy the same. The opposite is also true. If you make more goods but less money is circulating around the economy because people are afraid to spend or it's hard to get a loan, well, then retailers will be forced to put those goods on sale to attract the few consumers that remain, and you get deflation. It's basic supply and demand at a national level. Also, a quick side note is that demand is determined by money in circulation, not the total amount of money. You could print trillions of dollars every day, but if that just sits in a vault, it won't impact the economy at all. You may hear this referred to as the velocity of money, and I need to make this distinction because it's really interesting, and the comments section will shout at me if I don't. Why this is important to the debate over our proposed retirement scheme here is that everyone with their newfound wealth will certainly influence this money in circulation, right? And well, yes, they will, but not as much as you might think. These people have become rich because they have invested in public companies over a long period of time, not because it was printed out of thin air. With more investment, these companies will be able to make more products and balance out this extra cash in circulation with extra goods in circulation. The one distinction will be fundamentally supply-constrained goods, where you can't make any more of them no matter how many factories exist. The most notable example of this will be land for real estate. Overall, it still sounds like a feasible plan, or at least one that sounds a lot less crazy than it might first appear, but as always, leave a comment and let us know what you think is a more workable solution. Now finally, as for Mr Ackman here, what does he personally have to benefit from spending so much of his extremely valuable time pushing this agenda? Well, if we were to retitle this article, Hedge Fund Manager Desires Government to Adopt a Predictable Large-Scale Stock Purchase, you might get a slightly clearer picture. Of course a billionaire investor wants continuous government investment into the stock market. It will make him far richer than any of those retirees. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon, so if you enjoy these video, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys. Bye.